We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We Pre-show jitters, right, Pearl? <laughs> Break a leg. <laughs> good luck. <clears throat> Kiss for good luck. Yours went quite a bit longer than mine. Should this stay in? Sure. Okay. <laughs> hello, Trent. <laughs> hello, 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 Parth. How are you doing? I'm well. You're looking well. You're, you're looking well as well. Um, oh. And uh, I'm really just wondering what you've been eating most recently. Um, I just made myself breakfast, a little cranberry juice and uh, cinnamon raisin toast with some butter and some honey and some cinnamon. And then um, a little bit of eggs with some ketchup and some everything but the bagel seasoning. But I had to go to the liquor store this morning to buy... Uh, the cranberry juice, and it cost $7, which was a crazy oof. amount. I know, oof. I should have gone the extra mile to a convenience store and paid like 4 or $5. Um, but there was a really big German Shepherd in a car, and it barked at me, and then the guy in the liquor store spoke to me for several minutes about... He was like, this couldn't happen in Florida. That dog needs to be on a leash. And then he sort of went off on a tangent about the dog law situation in Florida, and then he was like, if we should call animal control, and if that dog bites someone, we'll get the dog taken away. And I was like, have a nice day. Uh, I'm going to go. That sounds drink. awesome. I'm going to go drink what I'm purchasing. Do you want to know what I've been eating? Do you not care? I No, I asked you before, but then we just got distracted. Yeah. So, Barge, um, what have you been eating? You look really uh, han- You look really handsome, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, and what an upbeat attitude. Cool t-shirt, by the way. Oh, my Adidas sweatshirt. Thanks. Oh, is that a hoodie? Nice. <coughs> cool drawstring. Yeah. Okay, sorry, what are you even eating? No, thanks. Parth, we're hanging out outside the real world today. Outside of the digital world, in the real yeah, world. Yeah, well, that kind of uh, ties into what I ate. Mm. Um, so, as of recording, it's February 10th, Claire Appel's birthday. She was on the, the Phantom, Phantom Menace, Menace episode. episode. Yeah. Um... But, yes, one of my roommates, one of my oldest friends. And a friend of the show. A friend of the show. Known her since we were 15? Yeah, 15. Well, me, not Trent. But um, today's her 22nd birthday, and I'd bought her a gift over winter break um, while something was on sale, and then I realized that it was at my house. And so yesterday I went home, like home home, Bridgewater. Yep. Um to retrieve it and while i was there my parents were like do you want to have dinner with us oh and they they just look so like it's crazy that your both your parents are like little babies and they speak yeah, with, it, they speak like little babies would only when they want me to stay yeah, and yeah. um when they want you my, to go they speak like, speak like adults they go hey hey parth it's time get your little butt out of here <laughs> yes <laughs> um but uh, my dad made pasta with chicken meatballs, um, mm. which are quite good. Yeah. Um, and I took some with me to 
I have for lunch today. And today I woke up and was like, I have all the materials for chocolate chip pancakes. Whoa. But I also have this leftover pasta and I'm going to be out this weekend at uh, front of the show Sophia Alexis's college house. Um, so I opted to eat the pasta, but I think pretty soon I'll be having some chocolate chip pancakes. I feel like you've done this in the wrong order. You should have woke up, made the chocolate chip pancakes, and then at some point for lunch or dinner, eat the, eat the meatballs. But you, you chose to eat the meatballs in the morning. Which is no, uh, no, I didn't have breakfast. Um, I, because I woke up to go to our school mandated screening that I definitely attend and don't just <laughs> sign into. Um, but that in and of itself is like an hours, hour to round an hour trip of waiting thing. for the bus and being on the bus and attending or not attending the screening because of where I live. I have to take two buses. Yes. Um, uh, so by the time I got back, it was like 1045 and you're you like, know. break out the meatballs. Yeah, well, I had it at, like, 11.30 or something, but yeah. Cool. Um, that sounds good. Do you, are you, love is in the air, Parth. Do you feel it? The air is I'm, thick. I was, I was thinking that. I was feeling, like, a warm, comforting feeling. And you know what else I find warm and comforting? Our intro song? Cueing the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, where are we talking to, Trent? We're talking to Aaron Barsky over a two-part interview to... We're we're in the middle of, and we're going to finish off the Valentine's Day Love Fest, Love-a-thon, Love-tastic, Love-voyage. Hmm. Yep. Still trying to nail down exactly what the what the what, what this special is called, but we'll figure it out by the yeah. end. Yeah, um, but well, uh, a lot of yes, love we, involved. We talked with Aaron Barsky, the first assistant director for When Harry Met Sally. We've been trying to do this for a while. Well, we've been trying to find an interview for this film for a long time. We've been talking about it. Yeah, I you know it's no secret I love When Harry Met Sally. The Trent also loves When Harry Met Sally, um, and. But it's just such an old movie. I was just that... gonna say, is this now officially the oldest movie we've ever done? Because before I that was Me- be. before that was Memento, I think. No, because we covered uh, Phantom Menace, which is nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we've covered anything from memory older than nineteen ninety nine. But now we're back to nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Turn the clocks back. Ah. Um. Ah. Yeah, so we had a really cool interview with him. He talks with us about how he got started in the industry, working as a first AD, sort of what his job really is for those that don't know. Um, and then he gets a little bit into some Rob Reiner, some When Harry Met Sally stuff. Yeah, we, we talk specific scenes. I feel like he we complimented him on his uh, memory of like very specific events because we were just like, uh, you know, it happened 30 years ago, but still he was able to say interesting stuff about most of the things we asked him. But yeah, this was a really fun interview. I hope it's fun for you guys. And uh, why don't we just cue right into it?
Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Aaron Barsky. He's the assistant director behind such projects as Bill and Ted Face the Music, Pirates of the Silicon Valley, Pretty Woman, and our film for today, Rob Reiner's When Harry Met Sally. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Um, so just to start off, uh, what would you say your relationship with film was like at a young age? I, I watched a lot of movies when I was a kid. I grew up in New York City. So uh, at four o'clock every afternoon, there were movies on. And I would watch old Cagney movies, um, stuff like that. I really got into them. And then when I saw Angels with Dirty Faces, and it was the first movie I know of that I cried to when they took Rocky back. And, and that kind of like made me like, okay, I really dig this stuff and kind of got into film from there. I kind of always wanted to see movies. Um, so, uh, we were curious of how you first came to be on a film set in a, in a, in a professional working sense. I worked on a bunch of Woody Allen's, uh, the fan, which was a Lauren Bacall, James Garner movie. First Deadly Sin. I did a few days on Fort Apache. I, I did a lot of all the stuff that came into New York. I did Arthur and Author Author. Um, uh, just a bunch of them. There, we, there were a group of us street PAs in New York. There were like eight of us. And we, at that time, I guess it was between 78 and 82, maybe 83. I was finished by the time I was 82. I was already non-union firsting. Um but we did everything crowd control in New York city that came through. And, uh, I just came up with a bunch of guys, Tommy Burns, Harvey Waldman, John Killick, you know, who are all guys who have pretty much become producers and done very well. Awesome. So I guess jumping forward, you mostly work as an assistant director in an assistant director capacity. And I was wondering if you could sort of explain first how you came into that role and if you could explain what the responsibilities of that role are for those that may not know. Well, before that, I was a grip and I was a dolly grip <clears throat> and I was working on this show and I did a move on a stint dolly through two doorways and it was about a 60 foot move. Maybe I'm exaggerating, probably a 40 foot move, but it's through two doorways and everybody was like applauding and saying how great that was, you know, not off of track and stuff like that. And I was like, well, that's it. There must be something better to do. What else would I like to do? So I looked around and I thought ADing was um, a way to get into directing, which for some it might be. It hasn't really been for me, but that's okay. I kind of really dig being an AD. Um, so I, I just started non-union ADing. Uh, I was on commercials. I would take the slate and be the guy who was doing the slate and I would move everything along. And then I would, um, when I first started in PAing on all these shows, I would take the script on the weekend and I would break it down and I would get some strips and I had a board and I would do my own board about how I thought it should go. And then I would talk to either the AD or PM or somebody who knew about the schedule and say, well, why did we schedule it like this and this and not do all these things at once? And, all that kind of stuff. And I asked a lot of questions and, and I learned a lot about it by doing that. It was, was kind of like a, a fun thing. I, I, I had some pretty good conversations with some pretty good movie heavyweights about that. So that's kind of how I started to learn because it was the scheduling that was the real thing. Because being a set PA, I got to see what the first did to an extent. So I got a good read on that. 
but it was the scheduling that's really mystical and magical. I think maybe still is. Yeah, you you've worked with some exciting directors, one of which is uh, Rob Reiner, and I was wondering how you became involved with When Harry Met Sally. Well, I had just moved. I, I came up in New York. I was in the Navy. I got out of the Navy, went into uh, went into film, started working on movies and stuff, and, and um, I then moved. I, I became a first in the DGA in New York. And what happened was all these, I was doing a lot of TV and all these features were coming into New York with these other ADs. And I was like, well, what's the deal? I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I can AD a movie in New York, but because I wasn't in LA, I wasn't getting them. So I figured I should move to LA. So I moved to LA. And, um, when I first got there, I did a, a TV movie and then I was looking to do something else. And a friend called me from Shanna Claire films and, uh, and they used to do these kind of strange little competitions. Um, so what they did was, I think they had, it was either 14 or 18 directors. And they would give them all the same poem, which was, I don't know, about two pages long. And they had to come up with a script based on the words in that poem. And it all had to be this interior in this one room. So it was a very fast, down and dirty thing. So myself... There was a DP, I can't remember who it was, but a bunch of people came through. And one of the people who was directing, who's, they, they selected his screen. Okay, so what they did was they put a screenplay in. If they liked your screenplay, then they would give you this poem to everybody. And then the competition was who had the best concept for the poem. And then they would then produce your, your script. So I don't know who actually won. But I AD, it was a three-hour gig for each director that came in. And I, over, I guess it was three or four days, did all these 18 directors. And one of them was Steve Nicolaitis, who is the um, production manager, line producer extraordinaire on When Harry Met Sally. And he asked me, like, why was I doing this freebie? And I said, well, I just got to L.A. I figured it was a way of meeting people. So here I am. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I've got somebody for you to meet. I'll get you the script. So I got the script over the weekend and it didn't have a title page. So I just read it. Thought, Hey, this is a great script. Very funny. And I go in I, Monday or Tuesday. I forget exactly what day it was. And there's Rob Reiner sitting in the room. And I'm like, okay. You know, so we had a meeting and he basically hired me in the room. Um, and that was it. And that was how I got that job. So sometimes, sometimes a freebie is worth doing. Yeah, and your attempt to meet people sort of paid off uh, immediately. And uh, I would, what yeah. I was going to comment on was the fact that you moved to L.A. and then uh, to just get a, a, a New York-centric movie just to get flown yeah. back across. Yeah, because I had done shows. I had done The Equalizer, not, not The Equalizer that's on now. There was an original Equalizer on CBS that was a very heavy New York shows. I did in the year that I was on it, I was in the stage one day or maybe two days. Everything was a practical location. So when I left New York, it was sort of like I had, I felt like I had shot every corner, <laughs> you know, between all my PA days and everything else. I had been everywhere, you know, and locked up streets, blah, blah, blah. So it was, uh, and I guess I needed a change. So going to LA was a pretty good thing for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you talked about meeting Rob Reiner, and um, Trent and I have found that 
he's kind of like a sleeper hit in that we wouldn't necessarily say he's one of our favorite directors, but then he's directed some of our favorite movies. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, he's, he's done some great, great, great work. Yeah. And I was just going to ask like, uh, what was it like working with him on set? Like what was his, you know? Yeah. Just like collaborating with him. It was really great. I mean, because I went out, we, we did prep at Raleigh studios in LA and, um, Billy was on and Meg was on and Bruno and, and Carrie from the, from the get go. When I got there, they were doing rehearsals. So they did, I don't know how many weeks it really was. You know, we're talking, it was like 1984, 85. So it was a long time ago. Um, but <clears throat> they came in and they did rehearsals and we taped out different rooms and different sets that we knew about. Um, Jane Muskie was a production designer and, and we taped out these rooms that we knew we were building and restaurants that we knew the layout of and rehearsed every scene. And, you know, Nora was there, Nora Ephron, the writer, and she and Rob and Billy and Megan, everybody would, you know, kind of get together and brainstorm how to make it better. So I think that's how it became a movie, which is what I like the most about When Harry Met Sally, not only that it's touching this, that, and the other thing, but that each, each scene stands on its own. And I think that's pretty unique because uh, I think that's very unique and definitely in the movie world. Um, and as the, f- uh, the first AD, like scheduling was your, was your forte. And uh, I was just thinking about trying to like book all of these New York locations or, uh, I, and I was just wondering like how long was the shoot and how hectic were the shoot days and how much were you running around each day, if you happen to remember? I have to say, because Steve and uh, Steve Nicolaitis, Jeff Stott, and Rob were involved, it it was um, completely professionally done. Mark Baker was the uh, New York um, location manager who I had worked with. I think we had PA together. I'm not sure. But it was somebody who I knew from New York. Excuse me. And I knew how to you know, I had worked a lot in New York, so I knew how to schedule in New York, which I think is maybe one reason that I got the job. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, we just, it was a, actually a pretty easy shoot because as you can imagine by watching the movie, um, uh, this, it's not like other movies I have done in my life where, you know, it's like, um, they walk in the door in New York and they walk into a room that's in North Carolina and they walk out of a room that's in Vancouver. I mean, it wasn't something like that. It was sort of like pretty much every, almost everything was like together. There were a couple of things. I mean, of course the exteriors in New York, some of the interiors we shot in LA, but once we got, let's say to the interior, let's say the one where they're um, uh, playing Pictionary, right? That was all in the stage on stage in LA. That's what we shot that day. You know, so it was like it wasn't heavy. It was like we were doing a little over three pages a day. Uh, Barry Sonnefeld, we had a great crew, a great New York crew, you know, all ace guys, uh, John DeBlau and, and Dennis um, Gambino, uh, not Gambino, uh, Gamiello were the grips and it was a grip and the gaffer. And they were great. You know, they're A-list New York crew people. And, uh, I had a great team, you know, so it was kind of um, everything just fell in place. I mean, the, the one story I can tell where I, I had any influence over like what we were doing 
was you know the scene where they're um, where they're at batting practice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Having that conversation. Originally, that was written to be on 14th Street at some street fair, and I said, you know, it's a place that is established to have the street fair every every week. Um, you know, sort of like a, a food market. Uh, on 14th Street, right at Union Square. And I said, I don't know if I can control that enough to do this scene. And they took that to heart and they changed the place to shoot it. And, you know, we did this thing with the batting practice, which I thought was really pretty smart way of going. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was a great way to do it. And uh, I think it was a fun scene to shoot for sure. You know, so... Yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was different than a lot of other movies. There weren't wasn't a lot of jumping around. It was comparatively, especially compared to today's shooting, it was easy. So just from my own curiosity, um, were at the street fair, were they going to be doing a different activity while they talked? They were just walking and talking. Oh, see, I think I think the like the batting cage like adds so much like uh, like it makes it so much more dynamic and like. Well, you know, yeah. Well, you know that, that that's making movies. I mean, movies. You know, you come up with one idea. It's okay. Okay. Well, we have to come up with something else, and you come up with something that's maybe better than the original idea. I mean, that ha- that kind of thing happens. I won't say it happens all the time, but it does happen a lot where. Well, we can't do it this way. We have to do it that way. And all of a sudden, that way works out a lot better than the original way. And and it doesn't happen every time, obviously, but it happens enough where it's you don't have to be scared about suggesting something like that, I suppose. Yeah. You spoke a little bit about how you said that you knew how to schedule New York. And I was just sort of wondering like, what particularly about the city um, makes it different from other places that are filmed um from an ad perspective how about everything (laughs) you know i mean in new york if you go outside and you're shooting it you know especially we were pretty high profile so let's say uh a couple of scenes where billy was like running through the street at the end trying to get to where meg was to the uh new year celebration there were some of those scenes we shot where there were like probably three thousand people on on third street and sixth avenue watching us shoot you know, so that's like different than other places. So you need enough people to control all that. And you need to have a, you know, set up your perimeters. Um, like as soon as you get there, you know, move people around, have enough P- PAs around to do the type of crowd control you need to do. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a thing. And there's always the person that doesn't want to move because, you know, I pay my taxes. I don't want, I want to walk on this part of the sidewalk. I don't want to walk on that part of the sidewalk or whatever it is, but, you know, for the most part, you have to go in sort of like a commando type situation and just take over that section that you need of town. So that's different because, you know, L.A. is pretty spread out. And um, I've shot in some places internationally city-wise where, you know, the New York style has helped me out a lot, knowing how to cordon off the set so that that block or whatever that piece of street becomes your piece of street for the four six or 12 hours you need it so so were you shutting down like entire like blocks well sort of i mean you let everything flow until you're ready to shoot and then you sweep everything out and then you roll and then you release everything and let it all go yeah i don't know i mean it's like you you know you you, you lock it up 
you know, okay, everybody lock it up. You have everybody in their positions so the PA stop people from walking down the block. The cops will stop the traffic coming through. Whatever cars you have coming through, then go into the street as soon as it's safe. You know, as soon as they're in position, then you can roll the camera. You roll the camera. Everybody does their thing. The extras do their thing. The actors do their thing. Camera does whatever it's doing. And um, if you're in the right position and it's a, a short enough scene, maybe you can run it again. If you can get the cars back in position and the people back in position. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how you do it. It's fun. I mean, when you're shooting a day in New York, it goes a lot faster than any other place I've ever shot. <laughs> I can say that much. So going off uh, your batting practice, uh, you know, location switch comment, um, and you're talking about booking all these locations, are are you typically, like, is it like months in advance you're picking, like, the individual streets that you're going to have partitioned off? Or can it be, is it, like, is it more... I don't want to say real life, but real life as in like everyone is procrastinating even on these big budget shoots. And it's like it can be as simple as like an envelope of money like a few days before. And it's like a last minute thing. The, the situation for me as the AD is everything is organized and ready to go on day one. So we started out shooting in um, L.A. And we shot a couple things in L.A. When we were shooting in L.A., I already knew how we were shooting things in Chicago, and I already knew how we were shooting things in New York. And those things were being set up, let's say, behind the scenes by locations and the unit manager and the production manager. As the first AD, I, I kind of, this is what we're doing, and then everybody else gets it together too so that we can do the things that we say we want to do, if that makes sense. So is everything 100%? Not always. There's always a scramble here and there. You know, I can't imagine that when we got into the museum to shoot a uh, museum of uh, metropolitan art, that it was just some sort of slam dunk. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that took days or weeks of <laughs> begging and organizing to get that done. Um, you know, but we weren't there for a while. That was, that was more towards the end of the shoot. So, you know, we, we started in LA and we shot a restaurant scene. We shot the um, scene where Billy sees his ex and they sing that song. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. It's all like, I mean, I've seen the movie recently, but not that recently. And it's, you know, it's all a long time. At the, ago. Sh- at the sharper image. Yeah. At the sharper image. Thank you very much. At the sharper image. And, uh, you know, so that was an LA shoot. That was one of the first days of the shoot, but you know, that was all organized and we knew what we were doing. But at the same time I was in touch with the guys in New York. But I had laid out, we did a production meeting where we lay out everything we want to do. Um, you know, if we're going to have a crane on that day, if we're going to have 10 extras or 50 extras or any extras at all, um, if we're going to be looking north and south or just south, you know, just all those things to, like, organize everything. So while I'm running that stuff in L.A., let's say, and even the stuff in L.A., that let's say the day one, somebody's prepping day two and figuring that all out. And my second is keeping an eye on that, hopefully saying, you know, doing the call sheet for that day and and uh, saying, you know, making sure that all the things we say that we needed in prep, that we said in the prep that we would need for such and such a shoot on day two, all those things were showing up. The 50 extras, the extra camera, whatever, the 10 cars, the extra crew maybe that we would need. So that's all figured out in prep. That's what prep is all about. Prep is sort of like 
not the most fun, but the, probably the most valuable. And that's hard to say because you're not spending all that money, but psychically more, more valuable than a lot of other things that happen during the show. Because you really figure out how you're making the movie in prep. Um, I, I wanted to get into some like specific scenes. If you could maybe, if you were able to recall anything from when you were working on it. Sure. You can test my um, memory. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the opening sort of 10 minutes are, uh, I believe going from Chicago to New York, um, with Harry and Sally. Right. And I was wondering if you remembered any of those like driving scenes and them in the diner talking with each other, anything you remembered from yeah, the working diner, on that. The diner we did and some of the driving we did, I think we were in San Pedro in LA, um, somewhere South like that. And, um, uh, it was a really foggy day. And that was, that was fun. You know, that was, that was a pretty easy shoot. I mean, the, the diner was an easy shoot. We did some driving around. We did, I forget, probably two or three driving shots. Um, you know, once we got the, the, uh, diner shot, um, but that was pretty easy. That was in the, in the first week of shooting. So we shot LA, then went to Chicago, then went to New York. Um, so that was one of the things we shot there along with the sharper image. I think we did probably about a week, two weeks in LA. So I have a question about the driving. Uh, I'm sure that the car was on some sort of like trailer or something like that. And, um, if they're just like driving around in circles or in a designated route, where is like the rest of the crew? Like, where are you? Because uh, are you on a vehicle that's following them around, or are you are you stationary in like a video village situation? Well, in those days, video village wasn't quite what it is today. You know, um, there was basically one video TV camera, uh, TV uh, monitor, um, and not like today where there's I don't know. I mean, I've been on shows lately where there seems to be eight TVs running around, so it's always it's a little weird to me. Um, anyway, uh, so, uh, I would be on an insert car, what we call an insert car, which is what you, um, tie the picture car to, uh, either on a trailer or you just tow it. Um, and the grips usually do some sort of rig. Actually, the rig we did in, in Chicago was pretty elaborate on that little yellow toy was, it was a Toyota, I think that little yellow car. Um, and I, okay. So the, the insert car is something where, um, it's sort of a dangerous instrument or seen as a dangerous instrument, um, where you have to be really careful. It's only nine people can be on the vehicle and that includes sound. Usually, um, you'll have the, the script person, at least one grip, usually one from electric, uh, whoever's working the cameras. And it depends on, you know, where the cameras are. Sometimes the cameras are mounted on the truck and you're shooting back at the car. Sometimes they're mounted on the car. Um, there's others, we didn't have it, but there's others that have a crane on the truck. So you're swinging the camera all over the place on the crane. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm on there, the director's on there, and we hook up the video so the director can see what's happening, and he has headphones so he can hear, and the sound guy will either be in the front seat of the insert car, or maybe the duck down in the back seat of the picture car, or even in the trunk. Um, 
even though no sound man willingly goes in the trunk. <laughs> um, but sometimes they end up there. Um, and that's pretty much how that works. It's, it, it's a situation because, you know, you're, you're tied, you're, you're, it's this toe and I've done all sorts of them. I've done them, you know, high speed down in the Everglades and I've done them through New York city on, I don't know if we did it on Harry and Sally. I don't know if we actually towed in New York. I don't think so. We towed in Chicago for sure. And we towed in, in LA. You pretty much just see them getting off at Washington square park. So I feel like you could get away with not towing in New York. Yeah. Like you're mentioning. Yeah. And, yeah, and Washington Square Park, that was that was a pretty fun shoot. That was an intense shoot, actually. That was probably the most intense shoot for me, or pretty close to it on the the whole shoot, just because it was Washington Square Park, which is um, not the easiest place to lock up. There's a lot of, you know, because it's a park, people can come at it anywhere. Um, so it's hard to lock it up. But the shots we did were pretty easy. You know, locking up the street from vehicles was easy. Um, and that, that was a nice little scene, but like the, the scene where he's, um, eating grapes and spitting the pits into the window, <laughs> um, that was a tow. We towed, that was, we shot that in Chicago. What an interview. Oh, yep. It's the end of the episode now. One interview. Uh, I, I, too bad it had to end approximately at the midway point or whenever it was most convenient for editing. You know. Yeah, but uh, too bad, but also too, uh, too good for the audience to have two parts uh, to the interview, you know? Yeah, you know. We'll, we'll, next week, if you're hungry for more, we'll see you next Sunday. And then the week, and then the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that. Yeah. Next week, you can look forward to our interview, to t- part two of our interview with Aaron Barsky, and then after that, a fun discussion um, of when Harry met Sally. But who's not going to be there, Trent? Me. Trent's taking the week off. Yeah. But someone's it's, it's, taking the what? Someone's taking the week on. Well, yes. Um, Sophia Alexis, friend of the show, is oh, from the on. from the from the Gone Girl episode. Wait, what and did she I, read it? I forget. Two I, from the two out of ten Gone Girl episode, and from nothing else. As in, she's, uh, countless uh, intros, she, countless she, intros. She, yes, yes. Or I was saying she has no other role in her life, but she was just a stranger on the street who happened to be on the Gone Girl discussion, and then has gone adrift. But she's coming back. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what'll happen to me if I say that, but, um... I don't think she'd be, I, I don't think she, I, I think suddenly it might be a solo pod if you said something of that variety. Imagine solo a... Solo a Star Wars story, the best Star Wars film? Imagine a solo and Harry Met Sally pod. That'd be... That'd, How that'd be, sad would that be? That'd be sadder than a Muppets ranking solo pod. I hate to be fucking that. No, guy. I I don't I don't even know what could be sadder than that. I'd hate to be fucking that guy, you know. I, I'd hate, hate to be to that be guy. Fucking that guy. I was just gonna say I'd hate to be that guy, but also I'd hate to be fucking that guy. Speaking of which, go listen to Trenton Jordan Sikafus's episode on <laughs> Ten Things I Hate About You. Um, which is a fun episode that I'm currently halfway through. Yeah, I, uh, go make sure to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, 
Amazon Music, whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts, we exist. Also, make sure to go give us a rating, five, five stars. stars, a review, if the podcasting app platform of choice allows you to. Tell a friend. Tell it a really friend. Does help. help us. Yeah, help. Um, give Venmo us money. Yeah, maybe Sponsor I'll put our Venmo. Maybe I'll yeah. put her Venmos in the in the description in, in the description, and people can just like send what they think is appropriate. We'll be like set. We'll be like sexy girls on. We'll be like hot, hot girls on Tinder who just put yes. their Venmo, and they're like just Venmo me five dollars. I'm a be hot like a, girl, rich girl, bitch girl. I'm a bitch part. Did you get to that part of the episode? Rich part. Yeah. No. I yeah. Don't. <laughs> I'm um, a hot part, rich part, bitch part, getting real body. Um. Yeah, just send us whatever you think is. Uh, we should get a P- we should get a PO box, and then people can send us items, like little little trinkets and stuff. I'd like to say that all the money that we receive would go into the pod, but I can't promise that. I'd say it'd go straight into our pockets. We could yes. go buy cool stuff. Yeah, at, at the mall. Let's go to to the, the mall, mall today. today. We could, Parth, we, the two of us could make a killing at American Eagle if we had like, mm. if we had like 50, dollars in our pocket. We should, we should be, um, models for, uh, uh is it Hollister or Abercrombie and Fitch where it was be uh, like. Being shirtless outside. Yeah. I think that was Abercrombie and Fitch. I just watched, uh, I, 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 when I'm at work at the equipment room and have a five hour shift, I like to go on HBO Max and go into like the comedy section and find something that's like bad and I can, I usually wouldn't watch. But when I'm really bored at work, something like Neighbors suddenly appeals to me. Wait, I, I like Neighbors. And I just watched it, and it ends with Zac Efron being the Abercrombie and Fitch guy, so it's on my mind. But I also like it. Seth I Bur- think it's 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 Rose randomly Bur- so sweet. At Rose, Rose Byrne is really good in it. And yeah. I mean, so is the rest of the cast, but she's, a, she's particularly funny. Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. Yo, Chloe Grace Moretz, we're going crazy. Chloe Grace Moretz was like my childhood crush, so watch yourself. Check yourself. Oh, my bad. Yeah, Parth, I saw Kick-Ass, and I was like, <gasps> that girl's 13 and I'm 11, so it makes sense. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, I think the listeners have heard us Babylon. Babylon! Whoa. Babylon! Damien Chazelle's Babylon! Sorry, I got all a bit list- excited. I I think the listeners have heard us talk too much, um, and I think we should just let them go. You know, we we should put we a, love them, so we should just let them go. If you love something, set it free. Um, we should put a frame from Avatar like on Instagram and be like, "Guess what movie this is from?" And then everyone will be like, "Avatar," will be like, "No, no, Babylon, Babylon, stupid fucking idiot." We can do that for Babylon, Terminator Two, Jurassic Park. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, goodbye. I think. Right. Goodbye. I think. See you guys next week, and we have some cool stuff planned. Well, well, we have some cool stuff we would like to do, and we'll see whether or not how the it's interviews planned. go. It's only time will tell. Now, a tale as old as time. <laughs> would Would you say that's what craft services is? Just a tale a as old tale as time. As old Sound of music. Wow. Between you and me, who's beauty and who's the beast? Uh, See I, you I, guys. 
I was just gonna give you the satisfaction of being the beauty, but if you wanna wrap the episode, that's fine. No, 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 uh, hey guys, I'm beauty, Trent's beast. And that's a wrap on Wait, no, Trent's not just beast, Trent is the beast. I'm Mr. Beast. Yo, Parth, um, what, what, uh, pick a number between one and ten thousand million. Nine million? Here's a check for, uh, nine million dollars. Uh, have a beast burger. I, I was going more for Split the Beast, but oh. I like this as well. <laughs> uh, wow, I could do a whole... I'm still recording, so I hope this makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm still recording. <laughs> uh, so should I do my... <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave it. Uh, you, Trent, you're not just a beast, you're the beast. Uh, is that on you, Taylor Joy? I'm going to try to kill you and other women... But I'm also several other people as well at the same time. Um, we should make several movies about this. I wonder if Bruce Willis will be in any of them. I think I'm... I've, I, I don't know what happened there. I think we should end the episode now. <laughs> if anyone hears this, more power to you. Alright. Bye, guys. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.